Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. This is June 13, 2019. I am Andrew Martinick. Once again, Daniel Bader is gallivanting around Istanbul, I believe. You'll recall. Is it Istanbul or is it Constantinople? Ooh. Uh, see, I was going to. Let me pull up on a map. I'm no, this is not happening. Uh, we need to ask Daniel when he finally comes back in like Where a in month the world or two is years. San Diego. All right, that first lovely voice that you heard was Russell Hawley. Hello. And uh, I want to say, Russell, thank you for that Stadia special edition 55 minute podcast. I listened to it on my drive down to my parents yesterday and actually learned something. Go figure. Yeah, super cool. And shout out to, to Carly Veloci and, and uh, Jen Locke for joining me on that. That was great. Yeah, anytime we can get in people that actually know what they're talking about with gaming is really, really good. Uh, we'll, we'll start pulling you guys in more often. I really like doing that one-two punch there. And also, that other wonderful voice you heard behind an illustrious beard is Jerry Hildenbrand. Hey, hey, what's up? Is the voice behind the beard, inside the beard? It's it is hard to one tell. one with the beard. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, we're going to pull out some of your beardly wisdom here as we cover all the craziness. And I think that the, the biggest craziness of the week was Google just saying, screw it. We're just going to tell people that the Pixel 4 is a thing. I mean, so we're, we have these leaks that are all coming out, as they typically do. And Google, the Made by Google Twitter account, just tweets out this really nice little rendered image showing the back and front uh, or, or the top and bottom of the back of the Pixel 4 and just said, you know, since since there's some interest in this, um, here we go. And then just hashtag Pixel 4 it. This has gotten a lot of excitement, and I kind of... Do you I, not I get it? <laughs> so, like, I, I think the excitement is is Google acknowledging the leak. Yes, I don't think it's the actual information we got from the render. It's just the right. excitement because it's it's rare for one of the larger companies to kind of lean into a leak. Like, this is the kind of thing that I, I guess that's what bothered me is this is the kind of thing that we look at and go, oh, LG is just doing this because it's LG, right? Right. And LG and, you know, several other manufacturers love to just announce things. Yeah, I I think the OnePlus 5, was it? Like OnePlus teased that thing out like every single day. It was like, here's another OnePlus fact uh, yeah. for, for a while leading up to the launch. So like the early, I guess, I guess the two things that got people excited. The one is that we're we're a ways out, like we're we're three and some change months out yeah. from when this would be coming out. We're talking like early October here and it's June. But, you know, as far as like and then there was some, you know, acknowledgement of the name, which which didn't seem particularly surprising to me. And that seemed like a slam dunk. Right. Well, we also knew that they were, you know, it's not like this is the first time they've acknowledged the pixel coming. We did just get back from I.O., where they made it very clear that a lot of the features that they were showing off on stage during I.O. were coming to this phone. So I, 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 I'm about it. Like, I, I think it's cool that they're, that they're kind of leaning into it and it, it saves releasing the high quality version of the image saves us from the weeks of, uh, complaints about what the bad renders or the blurry renders look like, mm-hmm. or which the, we've gotten the CAD renders, the yeah. whatever spy shots, stuff like that. We can, which we, we can do just do away with all of that, right? Like none of that matters. 
Uh, and that's that's caused the Pixel brand some some harm, in my opinion, in the past, has been we've gotten these kind of blurry or, or kind of gross-looking renders or CAD file representations of, of these phones, and, then, and a lot of the user response has been kind of negative. And then the actual phone comes out, and all of these same people are like, wow, when you actually look at the real thing, it's not so bad. Right. So I feel like this kind of blows past that. And uh, so as far as this particular render go is so it confirms a lot of the things we were speculating about in those kind of low quality, who knows where they came from leaks. But let's start with what we do know here. So it does have that big um, let's has anybody else called it a squircle yet? I mean, it's a it's a square with well-rounded off corners. It looks like a Samsung app icon. Um, camera bump in the back but what we don't know there okay again let's start with what we do know so it shows two cameras and a flash and then there's also another hole there that who knows what that is Um, but that's the biggest thing Uh, Google's going to actually go to two rear cameras now what we don't know is what's that second one is it telephoto? Is it wide? Is it something different altogether? Jerry, what's like, what's your expectation here? What are they going to do in addition to what we can assume is a similar main sensor? I'll bet it's just a black and white near IR sensor. That's not going to give you a picture. You can actually see. I would actually like that. I don't think they're going to go with wide angle or, you know, adjustable aperture or telephoto or, you know, I, that's just not Google with the Pixel. They they don't go all out like that. But uh, they they could do a lot with a a good image map that they get from a near IR lens. And you can still do. I mean, if you have that secondary sensor that's just black and white or whatever, you can still use that information to help you with portrait mode, which Google oh, already sure. does an amazing job with with a single camera. And I I agree with you. I don't think. I definitely don't think that a telephoto adds all that much nowadays. Uh, it, it means something if you have like Huawei, a five X telephoto, but even then I, I just don't find myself using that as often as I would benefit from every single photo having more data and uh, coming from a second sensor. And so Jerry, you might want to refresh people's, minds here what would a second black and white camera for example do for overall image quality well it would define the edges of all the objects and tell the image processor how far away they are which that's information that the main camera lens could you know do a lot with and you would uh, this was really popular a few years ago because it was just kind of the thing that you know, it was just a thing that manufacturers did and it seemed like it helped a little bit, but then people liked the idea of wide angle, you know, cameras. And so I get that. And it helped a little bit, but the software was lacking, you know, five, six years ago. Totally. Uh, That's where Google's good is the software. Exactly. And so speaking of that, like what (laughs) I've heard a lot of speculation about this, what this third, um, sensor or just whatever this little hole is at the top of this squircle camera bump is, c- I mean, could it be as simple as it's, we're just seeing a, an angle that shows the IR uh, send and receive. Be. It definitely could be. I understand the, you know, the hype, I guess is the word for it because 
it's bigger than it needs to be for just an IR sensor. But maybe it just looks bigger because of the angle. Uh, you know, half the Internet says it's a Project Soli sensor. The other half of the Internet says, oh, that's what Apple's doing. Burr, burr, burr. So who knows at this point? And I mean, anybody can pick up the phone that's, you know, in their pocket right now and look at the camera array on the back and look at especially the top bezel on the front. And if you hold it at an angle with bright light, you can see all of the little things that are in there. And so I don't really think you can speculate too much there. I mean, we expect Google to still go all out in the camera and we're ready for a jump here after seeing the same sensor back to back this looks like it could be an actual generational jump and we're looking at something maybe similar in the hardware it it looks from this shot like it's actually changed a little bit obviously there's no fingerprint sensor on the back and the camera arrangement is different Um, but russell do you see anything here in the hardware that stands out to you like they're doing something different. It's really hard to tell without knowing the materials. Yeah. I mean, not knowing what, what the sensors are is, is kind of, uh, you know, limiting here. I do think it's interesting that, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing the square up in the top left, uh, instead of centralized, uh, like we've seen with a couple other phones, uh, because when, when they, uh, there's frequently a complaint when turning your phone, landscape that your your kind of index finger on your left hand can kind of get over yeah um that sensor uh, especially if there's an ultra wide lens uh you know on one of those ends like the the, your index finger can often kind of get in the shot um in in those situations so i as much as i am personally excited at the idea of there being an ultra wide sensor that was or an ultra wide lens that was done by google because i often find uh and, and mr bubble touches on this a lot um, that the that a lot of times ultra wide lenses kind of suffer when it comes to quality. The yeah. color reproduction isn't always as good, and so that like it would be cool to to see Google t- tackle the ultra wide lens and and have it not mean a reduction in, in image quality. Um, I think that that's something that Google could do and have it be kind of meaningful. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, having it all tucked up in that uh, top corner is is interesting. Uh, because of that, um, I, I also, you know, this is entirely speculation, but I think it would be really cool if that if that third hole uh, up above that was a time of flight sensor, um, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff outside of just normal photography that can be done with a time of flight sensor. And Google has decided that it is going to compete with Apple uh, when it comes to augmented reality stuff. And Apple is going just a pure 100% hardware approach for its all of its augmented reality things where uh, I think Google has, has taken as much of a software kind of process approach as it can. Having a time of flight sensor um, gives a lot more information. It's, it's really similar to the answer that Jerry gave, right? Is it, uh, you know, having a black and white sensor also gives a ton of like depth information and things like that, which are tremendously useful for, for augmented reality uh, presentation. And so, you know, if, if it's not a black and white sensor, then it would make sense for that top thing to be a time of flight sensor. And for as much as I'm out of the loop and out of the hype cycle on, on AR on phones and just in general, uh, 
it makes a lot more sense for Google to try to do it because it's kind of in the full stack of developing AR stuff than when we saw it just thrown in on the Galaxy S10 5G and there's just nothing to do with it. The, the sensor is just there and I guess it's just there for fun or for future stuff because nobody really cares about Samsung's like two AR features that kind of right. don't work. But I, I'm pretty sure Samsung's using the time of flight sensor to buff up the, you know, capabilities of the camera itself a time of flight sensor Could was be. originally built to give you a distance a focal distance right and right. samsung could do a lot with that information uh google's been doing pretty well without it so if they've included it i'm i'm very curious what they're going to do with it because they're doing more than just well you know the picture you're taking is nine meters away right so so outside of the camera stuff, what do you guys, I'll start with you, Russell, what do you want to see out of this phone that can actually make the Pixel 4 stand out a little more? If we really are looking at nice camera improvements, that's that's at, at once a given because it's Google, but also, you know, can't carry the whole experience. As we've seen with the Pixel 3, you know, it lets us nitpick on a lot of other things because we know the camera is great and it's going to keep us around. But, you know, what do you want to see out of the Pixel 4, considering we're talking massive speculation right now because we don't really have a whole lot to go off of? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the 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 biggest thing that I want Google to improve upon with uh, the the Pixel line is that just sort of overall performance? Yes, uh, this you is still my thing. <laughs> well, you know, I I still never have this the one specific problem that you have, and it, it annoys me that I can't recreate it. But uh, but you know, things like simple small things, as I've been using the the Pixel Three over the last little while, and actually comparing it side by side to the Three A, um, there are weird things that the Pixel does now that it's kind of bogged down a little bit. Like if I go into the settings menu and I want to and I want to search for something in settings using text instead of scrolling through things, it like it, it'll take a solid beat for the keyboard to show up uh, in, in the settings menu, which is just a weird place for the keyboard to not just be immediately available like it is everywhere else. And there are weird little things like that, um, you know, apps not being able to stay open for particularly long, uh, you know, the the way that it kind of bogs down. Uh, when I'm trying to to do multiple things in Google Photos, like these are these are very small things that I only notice because I flip back and forth between so many other phones. Um, but but even like you know a brand new out of the box supposed to be less capable Pixel Three A, uh, you know you, it's really obvious that that my three has bogged down quite a bit uh, in in some of these weird kind of small areas, and so I I would love to see. Uh, either, either I would love to see some general improvements in more, more than just, we put more Ram in it. Right. Um, that's not going to fix it. Right. That's, that's not a, not a solution. I like the, the memory manager in general has to be, um, has to be really addressed if not completely rewritten, um, to, to address that kind of thing. So I, I feel like that's probably my biggest thing is, is performance. It's, it's so weird to pick up a one plus seven. Uh, and just see how much faster it is at, at a lot of weird little things. Yeah, it's almost so. I'll let Jerry go after me because I just want to dogpile on this performance point. It's it's completely shameful that OnePlus does a better job by a considerable margin 
in speed, fluidity, and consistency. And I think that the fact that Russell and I and seemingly every other nerd on the internet has a different set of problems with the Pixel 3's performance points out that the consistency is really that issue. I love to harp on the problem with launching the camera and having it kill background media or you know actively playing background media and even killing the Bluetooth stack. And you know, 50% of the people that respond are like, oh, no problem for me. It works great. My camera is super fast. Or, you know, I just factory reset and that, you know, fixed it once and for all. Or I never noticed the keyboard being slow to open and close. Yeah, I never see anything like that. I don't have these other issues that people have with battery life or other connectivity. So, you know, and part of that, of course, is like I said, the nitpicking angle of things, but also, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire here. You know, this is not just a bunch of random stuff that can't be um, pointed to an aggregate as a problem. It's tougher to track down because it is in so many different aspects, but it's still, it's still a problem. And I agree that more Ram is not going to necessarily fix it. You know, having more Ram would also help, but it's not, you know, if you just throw it through the exact same process, you could give the pixel three, 10 gigs of Ram and it'll still run into similar issues. It just may do it at different times and with different applications the very same issues because this isn't a, a ram problem it's a io problem the input output i don't know where or why i assume somebody at google is aware there's a problem and they're trying to figure it out too but uh andrew your camera kills everything because it's trying to load a gazillion thumbnails from google photos in the background the easy solution is stop disconnect <laughs> disconnect the camera from google photos but then that kills the experience so right. that's that's why you know i i'm not qualified to fix it because that's what i do i just separate the two and i mean the interesting thing there is that's that's a perfect example it's like google has put so much time and effort into just the camera experience and just google photos that you wish that they gave that amount of thought to the entire thing and it's like man i know uh, look we talked about this with the and we'll talk about the galaxy fold for another for a minute here in a minute but you know how did nobody just use these things for more than a month and find out oh well this is this is really annoying um this is a modern smartphone and i opened the camera and it kills media like what there's a there's a thing i've been thinking about a lot uh, over the last couple weeks, um, we got this this weird little anecdote during Google I/O, um, and it, it was actually repeated more than once. And I found it really fascinating that it didn't get more attention than it did. Uh, was that the Android team at Google, the the people who work on the Android operating system, view the Pixel team as an independent vendor? Yep. So they they the, the Android team, the people who build Android Q, are not working together with the people who build the pixel phones, they actually see them the same way that they see Samsung or OnePlus or, uh, or um, I guess not Xiaomi anymore, but um, you know, so I, I've actually found that really fascinating. It's something that's kind of been floating in the back of my mind for a while, especially now that we're looking at all this, this, uh, this pixel four stuff, it's all of the expectations for how Pixel 4 and, and Android Q are going to work so well together and, and how some of these problems that we've seen with the Pixel 3 come to exist when there are so many people, 
you know, the, the people who build the operating system are right down the hall. Right. So like, so surely they'd be able to help out, you know, somehow, but they, but they don't because there's this, there's this firewall between these two teams on purpose. Right. And I, they don't get I, preferential treatment, but I mean, look, one plus doesn't get any preferential treatment either. And they figure no, it out. Oh, it's absolutely true. It's, it's not an excuse. It's just one of those things that I keep in the back of my mind because it like the, the conversation, not here, but the conversation online very quickly uh, tends to turn to how is it possible that OnePlus is better at building Android than, than Google is? And I'm just like, well, they're, it, they're not. It's not the same team. You're right. That is a great point that they don't have an inherent advantage just because, like you said, they are down the hall or, you know, in a different building on the campus, whatever. Like they still have to figure the things out. Right. So I, I just I always find that really fascinating to, to think about, or at least I have for the last couple of weeks. I'd be willing to bet that there are more people from the Android team helping OnePlus build Android than there are helping the Pixel team build Android. Shoot, I mean, from a from just a general market standpoint, you would hope that there there are actually. Well, the the Pixel team, quote unquote, doesn't need help. We see problems and say, well, they do need help, but they're part of the Google culture. They have access to everything that the Android team has as far as the code in the back end, where OnePlus doesn't have that luxury, so they have to lean on the Android team a little bit. So, and you know, OnePlus, Samsung, LG, whoever, I'll bet the the actual Android development team works with them closer than they work with the Pixel team. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Um, so, so Jerry, do you have anything else you'd, you'd like to see in the pixel four hardware or software wise that we haven't really covered? Uh, I mean, I could be I, crazy. I, could be reasonable. I, what I want to know is what they didn't show us. And that's the front of the phone. Yep. I don't care about notches or hole punches or any of that because, you know, I think they both suck. I don't care. They suck equally. If there's no fingerprint sensor, then I have some serious questions I want to ask. It's got to have an in-display fingerprint sensor, right? It I doesn't mean, got to. It supposedly doesn't have a, a notch, and it's not a, you know, there's a, a bezel at the top of the iPhone 10 or iPhone X, whichever you prefer. It didn't have either. If that's the route Google's going, cool, Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we, we don't have any idea one way or the other. You could easily see them going with, some, like you said, some kind of face authentication or something else. It could, and, and, you know, shoot, it could be on the side. I know they could pull know, a Galaxy S10e. A- Apple did a pretty good job after a rough launch of getting, you know, Face ID up and working. Google has about an eight-year head start on facial recognition. If Google's going to do that, I'd I'd love to see how they do it. Well, the other thing to keep in mind here is that uh, one of the one of the rumors surrounding this phone is that it is is that it's packing uh, a a Project Soli sensor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for for people who don't remember, this is something that uh, was actually shown off when Motorola was part of the ATAP team, um, and and became part of the Google ATAP team back in 2015, uh, way back when Google I.O. was still happening at the convention center, uh, there was a, an ATAP presentation that was dedicated to Project Soli, and a big part of that was a radar-like system 
for detecting hand motions. So the the demonstrations that we got were largely, uh, you know, waving your hand to to increase the volume on something or, or making pinching gestures to to do stuff like that. Um, you know, controlling volume and and things like that. You know, these these kind of simple things. Um, but, uh, but the ATAP sensor, the, the Soli sensor actually got FCC approval, um, back in January. Uh, so the, the chips are, they, they exist and they're ready to go in things, but it's still not super clear what Google has in mind for them. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, the, the, the reporting that we've seen on this so far, like harkens back to the 2015 presentation. And so the, the immediate lean from that is, uh, the LG style air gesture system. Yes. Right. If, if and an, I don't, if an outlet says minority report one more time, I'm going to find uh, you and take your every, keyboard away. Everything is minority report. Um, so yeah, I like the idea of waving your hand over your phone to do something. I, I don't feel like Google got enough love from the, the squeeze thing to be like, yeah, we should go further and and create another weird gesture mm-hmm. system. I don't I don't oh, think yeah. that that's what happened. I, I love to be randomly reminded that I can squeeze my pixel right. and right. then ha- and then turn it off. I don't uh, I don't think that that's the direction that uh, that that the Pixel team is going here. I think it would be way more interesting if Soli was uh, you know because it's a radar system, not a uh, not a vib- not a vibration or a or a um, a visual system. It's not it's not a not a camera based system. Soli is is radar based. And it's um, so near and fine. It's it's near and it's finely detailed. I think it would be really interesting if if the Pixel team had figured out how to use Soli as an alternative to face unlock, where hmm. where it's not actually it's it's not about hand gestures or anything like that. It's actually using radar to pick up the the contours of your face and using that as an unlock system. I, I feel like that would be significantly more interesting uh, if that, or if that was somehow tied in in coordination with a, with an image based face unlock, um, you know, that, that coordination, I feel like that would be a lot more exciting than what we've seen reported so far. Cause the stuff we've seen reported so far is like, Oh, air gestures. I, I honestly don't think I, I would find it very difficult that the pixel team has any kind of information that suggests that air gestures is at all something that people wanted after LG's thing released. Well, that's, I mean, rinse and repeat for LG hardware features. Right. You know, the the question is, yeah, can Google turn it into a core part of the phone experience like a face unlock situation? Or is it going to be a sidecar uh, gimmick type of thing? And if it's the latter, then kind of why bother? I think it would be extremely cool if if what gets unveiled here is a, is a unique form of authentication that is that is you know kind of separate for this thing. Uh, it it causes other manufacturers to be like, hey, I want a solely sensor in my phone, and and so like, like we start seeing that that kind of rollout as an authentication method that is wildly different from the IR dot projection system that Apple uses for for face unlock. Uh, I, I I think that would be very exciting, but it, but also entirely speculative at this point. So speaking of hardware gimmicks and uh, issues with them, AT&T is canceling all of its Galaxy Fold pre-orders. I feel like we need to mention this just to keep stoking the fire for a minute and (laughs) not forget, because I think Samsung would love if everybody just forgot about this phone at this point. What the heck? I mean, is this just not going to happen at this point, which is what I assume? Or are they really going to actually try to do this thing in a month? 
when that phone first came out, before it was recalled and before everybody started complaining, I wrote something, and I'm still going to stick to it to this day. That phone is unsellable, unbuildable, and just a, a, a horrible <laughs> engineering disaster Vindication. because of how they did the fold in the center of the display. They didn't cut away the back, and you can't overflex it to make it flat, and it's going to crease and break. You know, I, 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 I'm not a phone manufacturer, but I know what bend in plastic with, along a score line what happens is it breaks. In fact, you can use a score line to make it easier to break. Or if you try to make it so it doesn't break, it creates other compromises, right. which is basically what we're seeing. They made it so the plastic won't break and the display won't break, but in doing so made it fragile in other ways, which is no better. The, the people from iFixit confirmed what I thought that I was seeing. And they also said that it needs some sort of angles where, where the two you know, where it meets because it has to be scored. And if that score is perfectly flat and cut, that's going to be, leave that big nasty crease. Uh, I don't know how you fix that. I, I assume Samsung has some sort of idea. Yeah, it's it's a little nuts. I, I think if I remember correctly, AT&T is actually the last of the places accepting pre-orders to cancel, like all of the other ones had already done so. Yeah. And Samsung, like it, this happens right on the heels of Samsung saying earlier this week, hey, we're totally going to do this in like a month. Like don't, it's, the, it's not too late to relaunch the device. The uh, DJ Co, the CEO said. Right. So I uh, I'm I'm fascinated by the timing there for DJ Co to have said this and then not even a whole week to pass. And then AT&T makes the decision to to start, you know, canceling these pre-orders. I I really I find it very difficult to believe that this phone is actually coming out anytime even remotely soon. But at the same time, I'm reminded again from IO uh, that there were two very prominent Googlers who were still actively <laughs> using them. After, yes, after they were recalled. After they were recalled, there were two. We had two different. Uh, I forget uh, now who they were, but on stage, I know that Hiroshi said that he was. Her, yeah, Hiroshi uh, confirmed to to floor to flow. Um, that, that his daily driver was, and then we had one other during another presentation who was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm still really solid on this, uh, on, on this, this foldable. And, and I just find that really fascinating that these two things are happening at the same time. And I get that Google has, uh, kind of a vested interest here because Google is, you know, Google worked very closely with Samsung to, to make sure that the wearables thing or the, the foldables thing worked from a software perspective. Uh, and, and is planning on having foldables be a, a part of its, you know, kind of hardware, um, you know, hardware level APIs for, for the future. But man, that was weird to hear, like after the recall uh, to, to hear these people still like, yeah, I use a phone every day and I love it. Just like, man, that is that's wild. I think that the the only thing that would really work for Samsung is to just not try to release the phone substantially as it is. You just have to go back to the drawing board. You can still call it the Galaxy Fold when it comes out in nine months or something like that when it's actually a different device. Just let it, you just have to let it go at this point because you're going to bring it back and they're going to, everybody's just going to tear it apart literally and figuratively. Yeah, let's be honest. It's not like the uh, the competition, the the competing foldable is going to do particularly uh, well anyway. 
Yes, but, Jerry, you disagree. I, because and and every time I think about the Galaxy Fold and what a fiasco it's turning out to be, I look back to the original Galaxy Note. Number one, whether this is good, bad, whether it wins or fails, I don't care. I love that Samsung is doing it. Oh, sure. They're the only company that can afford to do it, and somebody has to do it. You know, somebody has to put out the first one, even if it's garbage. And I go back to the original Galaxy Note. Everyone hated that phone. T-Mobile decided that they just were done with it. Yet, look today, we are looking forward to a Note 10 that's going to be one of the best phones you can buy. We wouldn't have it if Samsung wasn't willing to put something out there that, yeah, this has a lot of flaws, but this is what we're working on. Well, and to Jerry's point, uh, you know, this is not the first or last time that Samsung has has tried to experiment with different hardware factors and and found that it didn't work and and very quietly moved on. You know, when when the note started to be successful and these other phone companies started making giant phones, Samsung was like, well, what if we make even bigger phones? (laughs) And we got things like the Galaxy Mega and, and other kind of giant, you know, just horrendous things that that came out of that idea and those just bombed hilariously the galaxy mega had a a best buy display that included like a 15 inch lcd uh (laughs) that was just like like with a weird plastic wrapping around it that looked kind of like the phone that you could swipe through and i think that the original galaxy mega was only 6.3 inches right yeah and then you know so like it, it was this kind of slow scale up to this size but yeah samsung has has done this before, you know, they, they've, they've tried hardware things. It hasn't worked out. And so they've kind of quietly pulled them. Um, the, the, the end of that story was that the, uh, the, the galaxy mega promo thing stayed on, uh, on that end cap at Best Buy for one week and three days, uh, before the response was so negative that Best Buy was like, yeah, we're taking it down. Uh, because nobody wanted that phone. And so now, and now as, as Andrew points out, hilariously, 6.3 inch phones are just kind of normal. And this actually perfectly transitions to me. But the last thing I want to talk about while we're talking about hardware, I won't even try to come up with a a neat transition. I have a Samsung Galaxy Fit, which people may or may not probably remember was launched alongside the Galaxy Fold and the Galaxy S series when they unveiled all this stuff together. And it's just now coming out, which is really weird because it's just this little Fitbit uh, competitor type thing. I'm not sure why it took so long but everybody forgot about it including myself have to be honest but now it's on my wrist and it's actually a really nice little wearable and it's perfectly in line with what we're talking about samsung has tried every form factor under the sun for these wearables they've gone really big really small big watches small watches um kind of more fitness band type things that are kind of like watches uh and now they've settled on this which is uh, what was, uh, we were comparing it before the podcast started. The, the Fitbit inspire HR is basically the head to head competitor to this. And you from more than a couple feet away, wouldn't be able to tell which one is, which it's just this little, um, I think it's shoot. I think it's a one something inch screen, uh, rectangular, really small, really light. It's like 30 grams, including the band. It uh, has heart rate like the Inspire HR, and it's basically a big step down from a Gear Fit 2 Pro. Goodness, these names, because it doesn't do GPS. It doesn't do any of the smartwatch type things, 
but it does step tracking, automatic continuous heart rate, basic workout tracking, and it it's just light and out of the way. And that's kind of the idea. And Russell, I know that you have dabbled in all sorts of different um, fitness things, especially with your bike riding. You know, this isn't for someone like you that's going on long bike rides or anything, but it is a daily fitness tracker that is like the most popular type of thing, like wearable that people are looking for. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the, the casual tracker, the lightweight tracker is a thing that's, uh, that is going to be good. I, there are a couple of kind of outstanding questions. I have a big thing that makes the Fitbit popular in this range, uh, is, is that it has a bunch of accessories that make it go with a bunch of different outfits, um, mm-hmm. which isn't something that Samsung has historically done very well with for its wearables is, is released a lot of bands and things like that. So I, I hope that there's a way to address that. Um, I, or rather, I hope that Samsung has been, you know, kind of addressing that, uh, to go with its launch strategy. I also, I also love, 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 how few Fs Samsung gives and just calls it the fit. Yeah, it's like, just the Galaxy Fit. It's not this even a capital S- F. It's not even, no. This this is going to sit on a shelf literally right next to Fitbits. I will be writing it with a capital F, by the way. I've made this decision already. <laughs> and I, it just, it kills me. Like, the whole time I've been looking at this thing, it kills me that Samsung is like, what are we going to name this thing that very clearly targets Fitbit customers? <laughs> Yeah, and it's really telling also that they, they're they throwing the Galaxy name on it, like they are with the other wearables. Put it on the Galaxy name. Don't give it the gear name because that doesn't mean anything to anyone. It just reminds some people of the giant gear watches of old. This is trying to be... And so it's the same price as the Fitbit Inspire HR. It's $99. And if we look at the history of Galaxy wearables, it's probably going to be 30 bucks off uh, like next week. And you'll be able to pick one of these up. You know, you'll get it for free. You'll get seven of them for free with your Note 10 purchase, probably. And they're just trying to make these super commoditized. I mean, it's in this the the cheapest little box has the tiniest cheap charger ever. It doesn't come with any other accessories or extra bands, anything like that. It's just they're just pumping these things out just to get people to impulse buy these as extra things. And I, like you said, Russell, I think the name just tells you everything you need to know. It's really a, a an appliance style device way, way below your gear S three frontier or anything like that. This is for the people that don't want to fiddle around. And I appreciate that from Samsung's perspective. Some people don't want to mess around and, you know, Fitbit has this, cachet with the brand and with you you can do challenges against people and you're oh i have a fitbit but i can easily see this thing going in a lot of um a lot of stockings for the holiday season here and people are going to pull it out and be like oh cool i got a fitbit and i think samsung's totally happy with that as long as they sell a lot of these things one feature it has that the fitbit doesn't is number one it's going to work with all of samsung's health applications and that works really well. I'm uh, to inter- quickly interject. It works really well on non Samsung phones. As and far as it works, you, yeah. We we had a discussion yesterday in our team Slack. Uh, yep. Fitbit with Android can kind of suck. This isn't yeah, going to kind of suck with Android. It's going to work really good. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. I had forgotten about that. You know, Fitbit has long-standing issues with connectivity on various devices. And Samsung does make you install the Galaxy Wearables app in addition to Samsung Health. 
and you have to install a separate plugin. <laughs> if you're going to, so I have Galaxy Buds I use with my Pixel 3 all the time. And so I have a separate plugin for the Galaxy Buds and for the Galaxy Fit. And, you know, that's all annoying. But once you install those, they just run in the background and the thing just stays connected and you don't have problems transferring data. You don't have problems with sync, anything like that. It just works. And that's an under underrated feature. It's not something you can sell against, but it's something that permeates you know, the consciousness. Well, it's also something that when these all end up in people's stockings, there's a very good chance that those people have a Samsung Galaxy phone. Everything is going to work perfectly. They're going to be very happy and tell their friends how great it works. Yeah, and so I'm I'm excited to to try this out for the next few days. You'll see a review on the site um, early next week, probably. I just got this uh, yesterday afternoon, so I'm getting used to it. It, you know, look, it it's reminding me I've been inactive for an hour, even though I'm standing today for the podcast. Um, but it's um it, it works just like the other Samsung wearables, just scaled down to a smaller screen. It it works pretty well. I'm not going to have a trouble. Um, recommending it especially if it goes on goes on sale samsung take your philosophy that you're using with the fold whereas we'll try anything once and make me one that works with my wheelchair put this in a bunch of different form factors yeah i I will give you a million word glowing review if if you're the first company that can make one that actually works 100 i'll pay a thousand for that yeah Alrighty, we are going to take a quick break and thank our sponsor for today's episode, and we will be right back with all sorts of other great stuff. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by Keeps. Now, this is a product that you may not have heard about yet, but I'm happy to tell you about it because you've definitely thought about the subject matter if you're a guy losing your hair or being afraid of losing some of your hair. So what is Keeps all about? It's about helping you keep see the name and make sense, the hair that you have. And, you know, some people may regrow hair as well, but it's all about preventative maintenance. And these kinds of treatments, there have been lots of cheap ones that don't work, and there have been lots of really expensive ones that do work, but Keeps is bringing those two together. It's giving you something that's affordable. We're talking 10 to 35 bucks a month, but also something that is going to work for you. So the easiest way to get started here is you can just sign up in less than five minutes. And the biggest differentiator here is that even though Keeps is inexpensive, you're getting a licensed physician to review your information and recommend the right treatment. And Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products that are out there. You may have tried them before and you've probably paid way too much for them. Again, we're talking 10 to $35 a month. So what is Keeps all about? Again, it's it's all about keeping the hair that you have. You may not be particularly worried uh, about it yourself. I know that I am not yet to that point where I'm thinking about it too much, but I do know that this is something that people struggle with, and it's something that people don't want to necessarily talk about with other people. They think it's a little embarrassing. You don't have to be embarrassed about it, and you also don't have to spend a bunch of money to rectify this problem for you and help keep what you have. So if you're thinking about this, you know someone, you have a loved one in your life that is thinking about this, send them over to keeps.com slash ACP. And that's uh, 
a unique URL that's going to help you out even more. You know, you're thinking 10 to 35 bucks a month. How much can that really help me? Well, we're going to actually give you a full month free. So you can sign up again. It takes just about five minutes to sign up at keeps.com slash ACP. And you're going to get a free month when you use that URL. So again, that is keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash ACP and get your free month of this treatment and, you know, hold on to what you have. Keep what you have up there and don't worry about it. It's not something that you need to think of as a stigma or as a problem. You can keep what you have and you can do it for a really affordable price. But once again, that is keeps.com slash ACP. And thanks to Keeps for sponsoring this episode. Okay, folks, we are back. We have a few more topics to cover. I have to throw this to Russell because, like I said at the top of the show, um, mobile gaming, gaming, E3, shrug. I, I don't know what's going on. Russell, tell me what is happening. Everybody's excited about mobile gaming. Uh, I assume this is from the publisher standpoint, not necessarily from people's standpoint, but correct me. No, so I, I think it's both, right? Like uh, the, there's been a, a weird transformation over the last year. We've seen Fortnite and PUBG and, and a couple other these uh, these things that we would normally consider console or PC games uh, show up on phones. And and at the beginning of last year, the big question was, you know, is this is this an aberration? Is this going to fail? Do people actually care? Uh, and and that's been a really interesting stretch over the last couple of uh, of months to to pay attention to how publishers are paying attention to people playing on their phones and and in other places that aren't you know just the living room, and we've seen Google dip into this with Stadia. Um, you know the the Stadia announcement that it was it was coming to not only the Pixel phone but also the Pixel three A uh, as as being able to stream these the these you know, really intense games um, to a $500 phone just really kind of blew me away uh, as, as a feature that they plan on supporting not long after launch. Um, we knew that Microsoft had been targeting uh, phones in particular with uh, with what it's calling Project X Cloud, which is uh, Xbox games that are streamed over the internet. Uh, and Jez Corden over at Windows Central actually ch- uh, tried um, Project X Cloud in a, in a, a controlled demo um, during E3, it's you know they had a data center about 400 miles away, and and so they were streaming uh, a, a game to a phone that had a controller attached to it, and it was playing Gears of War, and and you know said that it, it felt really realistic, and there wasn't a lot in the way of latency that he could tell, and and you know so that was a really cool thing. I, I will say as a caveat, uh, just before I make the the actual point that I was going to make. Everyone has written articles about how Stadia in a demo format and. Uh, and Project X Cloud in a demo format have been really great. These are entirely 100% controlled environments. Yeah, Microsoft says that data center is 400 miles away that we're having this thing from. 400 miles is not a is not a, a, a great distance when we're talking about delivering data over a network anymore, and it hasn't been for over a decade. You know that 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 distance is. It sounds great to people who don't understand how networks work or or how uh, data over uh, you know kind of basic. Uh, fiber routes work, um, but 400 miles in one of the most technically developed places in the country, which is California. Yes. Um, that's not that's that's not a, a an impressive demonstration. That's kind of table stakes. If it didn't work in that environment, there would be way bigger problems. Uh, you know, so for both of these streaming services, as impressive as the demos that we have seen for them both have been, the demos for both have been an incredibly controlled 
uh, perfected environments. And the big test for both of these services as they come out later this year is going to be when they work, when I'm, uh, you know, hanging out at my parents' lake house and there's not a great internet connection, you know, like those, those kind of things are, are going to be what's important, um, you know, for, for places that are not the city, for places that are not, you know, the, the ideal, uh, situation. Cause that's where a lot of these people are going to be playing games. Um, but, but aside from these streaming services, as cool as the streaming services are, uh, there's also been just this increased focus from big publishers like Bethesda, um, where, where mobile versions of games have taken front. Uh, you know, we saw that there's an Elder Scrolls game that's available for, for phones now, um, called, uh, Blades, um, that, that they're very happy with the response to. They, they actually released, uh, a, a, a new version of Commander Keen, um, which is an old, uh, ID software game, old, 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 um, saying that, you know, Commander Keen instantly makes you ancient. Um, shut up. Hey, I'll stay away I'm from that one then. Right there, right there with you, man. Um, so they're, they're making a special Commander Keen game for phones, um, which is uh, which is a very cool thing. And the stuff that they showed off for it was was very cool. Um, we know that Nintendo has been doing stuff in, uh, with phones, and that's going to continue to uh, to evolve over the the next little while. It is it was just really amazing that from all of these places, uh, you know, E three is is supposed to be like the big nerd haven for games that are coming out next year. It's it's Google I O for games. Um, and, and Microsoft and Google and, uh, and, and all of these big publishers uh, all took time from each of their respective presentations to talk about the way people are playing on phones and, and specifically making it clear that they wanted to be able to reach players where they were uh, because that place is, is increasingly not in front of a computer at a desk or on their couch with a controller in their hand. And I, I find that really fascinating as someone who doesn't really enjoy playing a lot of games on his phone. Same. Um, that, that this is, this is where this is headed. You know, a big thing that Microsoft said at GDC that, that has stuck with me um, when they were talking about the development they've done with project X cloud is that there Microsoft is, is observing a generation of gamers where the phone is actually their first controller. You know, pressing buttons on a glass screen is is the first way that they learned how to play games. And so offering, you know, very customized Xbox controllers on these screens, not the not the horrible, you know, kind of A B layout things that we've seen in the past, but offering these kind of highly customized uh controllers on on displays is something that means a lot to Microsoft because it has it has observed the way that uh so many people um you know, in, you know, starting at age eight and, and going up um, where, where these people uh, aren't getting a console until they're a little older. Their, their first console is, is the, is borrowing mom or dad's phone uh, and, and playing games for a while on that. And so that, that, that was really fascinating to me. And, it, and it's something it's clear that Microsoft's not the only one doing that research. There are a lot of game companies right now that are, that are doing a lot more than just stripped down versions of, of games on phones. They're trying to make these, uh, you know, full game consoles. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of that as we move into the back half of this year. Yeah, it definitely feels like the the streaming to a phone situation is further off than, you know, the promise of knowing that you have all of these big names behind making 
really tier one gaming experiences on mobile. And you think back to just a few years ago, Sony and uh, Microsoft in particular, we're just, they're really taught, we're talking about using the phone as a second screen type of experience where you can see some things. And now it's like, oh, well, you can kind of play a different version of the game. And then soon it's going to be, oh, you can just play the game. And that's that's a big deal. I think we are definitely on the other side of the curve now from the kind of mobile gaming is doomed and everything is pay to play and yada, yada, yada. It's like I feel like we're kind of coming out of that a little bit and starting to have people that are actually excited about real, you know, quote unquote, real gameplay on phones. I, I like that, even if it's not really for me. Yeah. So, I mean, like the, you know, the the. The way that I'm going to define what you're calling, you know, real gameplay is is not anything that's not designed to be short, casual gameplay. Because for a long time, mobile gameplay meant uh, being able bejeweled. to com- bejeweled or being able to complete a level uh, or, or a mission or something in the time it took you to stand in line at the bank. You know, like the that kind of short burst of of excitement. You you played for a minute or two, and and you were you could choose to be done at the end of that minute or two if you had to get back to the real world. Uh, and and now we're seeing very much the opposite of that, where the the goal is to keep someone seated and playing for for as long as they can. And uh, I I mean, obviously, you can get people seated and playing even longer if you can offer this streaming experience, right? I just, I wish that Wyatt Chang from Blizzard had been there with Microsoft and said, do you not have phones? Right. Just, you know, it, it's turned around completely in just a year. Last year, I mean, they literally booed one of the biggest gaming franchises off the stage because they made a mobile version. Yeah. Now everybody is like sacrilege. How dare you? Yeah, like, why people, don't you put more? Why don't you put more resources into the desktop version? People hated Elder Scrolls Blades when it was first announced. Like, like it got really dumped on online when Elder Scrolls Blades was was first announced. And Diablo Immortal. Oh yeah, Diablo got uh, tanked on a lot. Like it was, it was not a like the the online reaction was really kind of sad. And now. Uh, not only has Elder Scrolls Blades, you know, grown in popularity to a point that it's going to see a lot more development, but it's it's actually going to have cross-play or cross-save with the Nintendo Switch, where you're going to be able to save your your progress on your phone uh, and actually pick up exactly where you left off on your console at home. Which it is turns out it's a fun crazy. little game, right? Which is which is crazy like the the way that that like the considering all of that really kind of surprised me that that that's how far that development has come and it's it's also fun because i know that i'm not that i know that i'm not that person and i know andrew you're the same way we're like you're you're just not going to sit down on your phone and play uh you know any of the games that you actually enjoy playing yeah, for I'm not going to sit down, uh, no matter how good I think the controller is or anything like that, I'm not going to sit down and play Battlefield on my phone. It's just not going to happen. Right. But I do recognize that for some people, like that, that is what's going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking about last year. Go back five years and how everybody laughed at NVIDIA for basically producing what now Microsoft and everyone else is trying to reproduce with a phone screen and a controller. What was that? The Shield? Yep. What was it, Andrew? The Shield Portable? Yep. Yes. Something, I whatever. Recently, I'm sorry to say, I just recently recycled my Shield Portable. 
uh, responsibly because I've been moving um, and I'm packing up a whole bunch of stuff. And I was, I shed a tear for the minute that I held on to that thing and uh, pulled off its removable, swappable faceplate and put it back <laughs> on and uh, looked at the vents for the fans on the back and the micro USB charger and the mini HDMI out shed a single tear and then put it in the bag with all the other stuff to recycle. I think it's really amazing when people, cause we get this now, like the next question is obviously someone going, why, you know, well, why isn't NVIDIA coming back and doing it again? Like why mm. not make another shield portable? And the sad truth is they make more money off of giving this tech to Nintendo and letting Nintendo yep. sell it as yep. their own thing. Yep. Like, like the, the shield portable three, is a Nintendo Switch. Like that that was the yeah. design. They pitched that design to Nintendo and Nintendo was like, oh yeah, we can do a lot with this. Oh, Russell, that's a great editorial idea that you have just assigned yourself to write. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Russell, I, w- I would really would love to see you take a screwdriver and take your Nintendo Switch apart and just show everybody what's in it. Yeah, I, it's it's a Tegra 3. Like it's a, or a Tegra 4, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it, Nvidia designed all of that stuff, yep. and like like having a lot of really fun conversations with Nvidia people that aren't like they'll they'll never say any of this stuff mm-hmm. publicly, but like they like Nvidia knows, like they were like, man, we were on the right path, we totally could have pushed this forward, but that like the brand the the name recognition you get with with Nintendo alone, like and having Nintendo continue to license that hardware from you, nah, Nvidia is just fine where they are right now. Sure. Uh, you know, do, uh, this was at a time when doing something mobile actually hurt NVIDIA's brand. Right. Because of how rabid and stupid PC gamers are. And don't send threatening emails. I'm a PC gamer and I'm rabid and stupid too. So I'm allowed to say it. We we hated N- or NVIDIA. Why are you taking resources away from making your next awesome video card and making a stupid phone? Well... Maybe uh, this is the smart way, and they're making all the money and getting none of the hate. Yeah. So speaking of old school versus new school and man yells at cloud and get off my lawn, uh, we need to talk, now that I've got you guys on the podcast uh, uh, instead of Alex, talk about Android Q's back gesture and (laughs) how... So my headline for this editorial was Android Q's back gesture breaks a fundamental app interaction, the slide in drawer... And I believe this was Jerry that put this in our show note. His uh, alternate headline was, Andrew is wrong about Android Q gestures, but I love him anyway. No, nope, that I'll, was me. I'll take credit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Man, I pegged Jerry for that one. Ah, Okay, so this, is, th- this actually sparked up a lot of people arguing about Android Q gestures, which I love to do. Um, I don't necessarily care if you think I'm wrong or not. I just like to talk about it. Uh, so everybody kind of knows where I stand on this. I think it breaks the fundamental app interaction of a slide in drawer and the back gesture coming from both sides is kind of funky in a way that the home and multitasking gestures aren't because I think that those are totally fine. So Russell, why am I wrong about Android Q gestures? But I'm, I am glad that you love me anyway. So this is uh, full disclosure. This is actually an extended form of a conversation that, that Andrew and I both had at IO when the feature first got announced. Uh, and I, and I, I kind of, you know, I had this I had a similar answer then to the answer I'm going to give now, hmm. um, but I've done a little more research now uh, or at least, uh, you know, research in, in my own area. It's certainly not uh, definitive in any way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just I don't think enough people use the slide in drawer for this to matter. This has been the biggest 
argument against that I've heard. Yes, I, I, I'm not saying that you're. I'm not saying that you're wrong that these two gestures conflict. They obviously do. Um, but I, I've tried really hard to find anyone around me as I as I watch. You know, as I, I stalk over people's shoulders like a horrible human being. Uh, when I'm on, you know, mass transit or, or behind someone in, in line at a coffee shop or something. And I, I never see anybody use the slide in drawer. And I feel like that calculus played into to Google's decision. Like, I feel like there was some research there where Google was like, well, hell, no one's even using this. And I, I, I could certainly be wrong. I'm sure that there are enough people <laughs> listening here who just absolutely love the slide in drawer that I will get emails about it. I, I think that that's what it comes down to. I think that this, I don't feel like this breaks a fundamental app interaction because I don't think that it's fundamental to enough people that it matters. I think it definitely depends on the app. So there are some apps like Gmail or Slack that that's a core way that you're using the app. You're moving between uh, folders and filters quickly, or you're switching between channels and Slack. And then there are other ones like the Play Store or something like that, where you're not jumping into that side menu as often. And so you may just, you tap the hamburger button or something like that. The big thing that I think about is I do see people using it. I'm now putting it higher on my list of things to look for when I also creepily look at people's phones to see you know what they're using and what they're doing to be clear to everyone that's listening this is a horrible thing that we do because it helps us i i (laughs) I feel bad about it every time i do it but like it's just a thing and so many of us do it because because we know how horribly broken we are as as people when it comes to these devices that that we just don't use phones the same way that everyone else does we just we just don't it's also usually just to be like, what phone are they right, using? Yeah. And I was walking down the street the other day. I saw somebody using an HTC Desire I. And oh, I was like, wow. you know what? This is my payoff for looking at all these phones. That's right. But, <laughs> but as, I'm, as I'm looking around, I see people using the slide-in drawer. But I agree, it's not a 100% thing. It's just more of the general idea that the back button is conflicting with something else that is core to the OS and just generally adding to the overhead, the mental overhead and the steep-ish learning curve of gestures versus buttons. And, you know, we, we saw in this last week where people coming out of uh, Apple's developer conference um, looking at Apple killing force touch or whatever it's called nowadays, 3D touch, because it's something that's so hidden and so hard to use that it doesn't make sense. And Apple has its own gesture system that people have figured out. They also had um, back, you know, edge-based back gestures that were also uh, introduced with, along with 3D Touch, I believe, if not, um, you know, right in in step there. And yeah, they, people have figured it out. But I think that your point is all can also be expanded to the fact that nobody effectively is going to have Android Q gestures. Yeah. Yeah. So two things there is that the one like as weird as this feels right now, I I switch pretty regularly back and forth between my pixel and my iPhone 10 S 
And I've caught myself now several times picking up the iPhone and swiping across the, the left-hand side of the screen and being like, oh, what, man, what, what the hell? Why can't I go back? What's, what's... And we don't talk about this enough when comparing the two things because we, we have enough criticism of the way Google's back thing works. Apple's back thing is awful. It is. Like, it is it's universally, really <laughs> universally terrible. You know that like the you can you can like kind of arc to to go back one, uh, or there's a weird little thing that gets uh, that get that appears up in your navigation drawer, all the way up in the top left corner for you to jump back to an app that you were previously in. It just it's confusing and it sucks and I and I've never liked the way that Apple does anything back because it was it was shoehorned in uh, a while back. It's it is it is Apple's you know uh, middle click. Um, for for the iPhone, their problem of having to shoehorn it in was they had apps that needed a back button, and so it was just sitting in the top left corner where the hamburger button goes, and it was different in every single app. It, yeah, and it's 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 not appreciably better now. And it, like there are plenty of things about Android's back function that is inconsistent that I don't care for, but but yeah, like it's like it, it frustrates me anytime I see. Uh, talking heads, um, in particular, uh, no, I'm, I'm not even going to bother with his name. Uh, you know, saying that the, uh, the Android gesture system is just flat out copied from, from the iPhone. It like, no, I'm sorry. I just, I flat out refuse to accept that premise because number one, if it was, if it was flat out copied, it would be as good as, and it is not, um, but but also just the the back functionality alone for these two things just functions so impossibly differently that yeah. my my brain just can't keep them together. Like I I regularly screw up one or the other when I jump back and forth between them. But yeah, um, this is actually a point that Jerry made earlier uh, before we started the podcast. Is that uh, <laughs> there's a pretty good chance that most people aren't ever going to see this gesture system. One UI is going to have gestures that work good. To be clear, One UI has gestures right now, and they do not work good. But they will. They're the most basic garbage ever. When when Samsung decides to literally do away with any way to get buttons, capacitive, physical, virtual, when there's no buttons left, One UI's gestures will work. Uh, OnePlus is a good example. Their gestures yeah, work. I think that's that's heralded as one of the best. Google doesn't is care. Okay, d- doesn't care how you do gestures. They don't care if you include them at all. Uh, hopefully, there's a BlackBerry Key three, and it won't have any gestures on it. <laughs> but it'll have all sorts of keys. Well, it'll have gestures on the space bar, right? But but this is just this is right now what we're seeing and what we're complaining about is the Google Pixel only, right? And, and that's it, yeah, important so for everyone to to remember. It's yeah. So I mean, it's it's hard for me to to be critical of this gesture thing. Aside from you know, yes, there is obviously a collision there. I just I never use it, and I I can't. I don't ever see anybody use it. So it's it's hard for me to be like, man, that really sucks. That's going to mess with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it is it is a collision of UI, and it's it's. I think Google's response to it is weird. Like <laughs> the 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 answer. Well, like, I think I would have appreciated it more if Google was like, yeah, it turns out nobody actually used that thing. So we just said, screw it. But their answer, and you address this in your in your editorial, uh, Andrew, is that they, they're 
they're encouraging developers to create these these basically no fly zones. Yeah, exclusion areas. Exclusion areas where where swiping doesn't doesn't pull out the drawer and instead does the back thing. And that just seems worse. Not because yeah, I actually think it is worse. Not not because um, the the larger point that you made is that uh, is that very few app developers, comparatively, like compared to the, the mass of the ecosystem, are going to support it. Um, but for me, it feels worse because I'm never going to remember that. Yeah, I'm never going to remember where the exclusion zone is, and because phones are different sizes, that exclusion area is not always going to be in the same place exactly. For, for like, even if a bunch of different phones supported this, uh, this this gesture system, like that, I, I like I leaned on that a lot when I saw the the thing about exclusion areas. Is that that mm-hmm. I feel like that would encourage me to use swipe in for the slide in drawer even less, uh, because I wouldn't be able like I, the first time that I I went to swipe to get the slide in drawer and instead it just closed the app because it backed me into something else. I like I would just stop bothering. So the way that I, uh, I agree that this, uh, different, different apps having different exclusion zones. And in many cases, let's be honest, not having them at all. Oh yeah. Uh, it means that you're just going to go to the default of not trying to do it except for those couple of apps that you use a ton. And you can see this right now. They updated the play store to have the entire left edge be an exclusion zone. So you can't go back except for off the right side. So I, I guess that I, yes, Jerry. W- whenever you make you know either a, a suggestion or a requirement or best practice, whatever for something like an exclusion zone or anything in an app, you're done. You've done it wrong. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the question here is like why does this lean on the app developers when they could have just said, well, just we're not going to offer that at all. And like, Hey, this is how it is. Redesign your apps, however you want. This is Google makes billions and billions and billions of dollars a year to do things like put gestures on the phones. They sell a lot of app developers. Number one are just doing it out of enjoyment or a hobby. Number two, a lot of them are struggling. If this is how they earn their living. And number three, the, the big studios that have a lot of money, they're going to do the least amount of work they need to do to be compliant with these best practices and then done. It's never going to work good when you have a million different developers trying to implement it. Well, and, and Google's own example of this isn't quite the way that they described it. Like, like the, the play store is, uh, as Andrew just pointed out is the entire left side. (laughs) Is it, that's not a zone. That's the whole side of the phone. Right, that's just half of the available back gestures. And so that would that's kind of my one of my potential fixes is you define the top half as uh the top half of the screen, whatever the size of the screen is, as something that pulls in the drawer from either side, whatever apps want, and then you let the bottom half on either side be a back area. You don't need to have even the top third let alone, you know, any anything more than that or anything less than that be a back gesture. Like nobody is reaching up to the top third of their screen and swiping in from the edge to make a back. I mean, we're all used to back being at the very bottom of the screen from a usability standpoint. I don't quite understand why you need to have, first of all, both sides of the phone 
and also 100% of both sides of the phone be active as a back gesture. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you could really get rid of a lot of this hassle by just making it the bottom half of the screen or making it only on the right. Because I think of, you know, you're going right to left. It's pointing the same direction that the back typically points in, you know, legacy Android. It's weird. That's for sure. It's extremely weird. And I mean, Jerry, your point about, you know, why are you even doing this on the app level is makes a ton of sense. But I mean, is there any chance that this I mean, let's be honest, there's got to be a chance that Google changes this. Google will evaluate the feedback and do the appropriate response. I think that's how they word what they're going to do. They're going to try to do what they like. And if we don't like it, then they're going to fold. Google, the, the people that are making this stuff, they're, they're, they're people too. They have likes and dislikes. And, you know, while they're not Apple, where they demand you're going to like it, they, they give you what they like first and foremost. I think the interesting thing to take away from this is that the back button is effectively never going away. You can well, do, can't. you can turn it into a gesture. You can do whatever you want. They can change how multitasking works. They could really, like, it's kind of open season on multitasking. It's kind of open season on home. Uh, you have to have a home button, but you can kind of do it however you want. But the back button is just so deeply ingrained in how the system works uh, and how apps work, of course, that you, they're never going to be able to get rid of it. So, they really don't have any incentive to think way outside the box there because it still has to be a back button and still has to trigger that. Well, that's one of the founding tenets of Android is how you, you know, navigate your way through the operating system. You In the middle, you can't just change it without a lot of work. You know, and so there's no chance, there's no chance that the Android Q version of gestures is going to be the be all end all going forward. I mean, we've seen the navigation bar change with basically every other version of Android. And in this case, it ch- it changed twice in two generations where right. they came out with Android nine pies version and just completely canned it the next generation. I, I'd say that even with the back gesture being such a calamity, I think that it, uh, Q's version is better overall than pies. But, you know, I, I I guess, I don't know. I'm kind of arguing against myself there. That's kind of tough. But the real innovation, again, it's very similar to the previous discussion about the Pixel 3 um, and Pixel 4 um, software is kind of feels like the innovation's coming from other manufacturers. Uh, well, and their circle way back, uh, Google's also a phone manufacturer. That department's not innovating as well as some other phone manufacturers are sure i'll go on record and say that yeah i mean it's worth pointing out that you know we've we've seen recent examples from the android team where uh people have been like hey why not add this feature and they're like okay like you know (laughs) it's 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 always cool for people to submit actual solutions to us uh in the (laughs) form of code uh why don't you change this right so you know like i feel like uh, you know, there it may be something to address at some point in the future is, is you know, a, a part of the Android open source project kind of falling to the wayside is far fewer of these companies that have worked with Google in the past feeling the need or or even the want to 
submit some of these ideas yep. back upstream. Uh, like there's there's no real reason for OnePlus to have its own system uh, for for gestures when it could it could float that gesture system back upstream and and have Google just make it the default. But that didn't happen, and I think a lot of that has to do with the the Android Open Source Project just not really being a a, a dominant part of the conversation anymore. Welcome to the world of open source. Eventually, somebody ruins it. That's how it oh, all. Oh man, I hate to leave it on such a downer there, but I'm I'm tired of talking about a discussion where <laughs> I'm clearly wrong, and then everybody just gets depressed about Android Open Source Project in the end. Uh, but that can really be applied to every single one of our episodes. Uh, but we will have to call it there. I greatly appreciate both of you, gentlemen, lovely fine gentlemen with um, varying stages of facial hair, but great voices behind them, regardless. Uh, Russell, where can people find you on the internet to uh, continue to complain to you about how mobile games work? I am at Russell Holly on everything. Uh, and um, if you actually take a look at my Twitter account from a couple of days ago, I did this really neat thing with slow motion cameras um, that I didn't actually write about on AC yet. I'm, I may at some point. I haven't yet. Um, uh, where, uh, where I blew things up in slow motion uh, to show some stuff. And it was a lot of fun. This is very good fun. I encourage everybody to do that. And uh, Jerry, where can people find you maybe or maybe not exploding things in slow motion? Uh, I am at Russell's parents' lake house. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a real lake house. It was an example. But can I hang out at the lake house with you? Anyway, you can hang out at a lake house. If you find me anywhere, it's going to be on Twitter. I'm not much of a social media guy. And it's at GBHIL. Uh, and that's my gamer tag on Steam and PlayStation if I ever fire it back up. And I actually find a, a good way to see what's on Jerry's mind is his weekly column on Saturdays yeah. called Android and Chill. And uh, you can hop into the comments there and talk about whatever wonderful thought-provoking thing Jerry Jerry pulls out because it's always something good. Good um, have your cup of coffee in the morning and uh, read that on the weekend. Well, that's pressure. <laughs> I was going to hey, slack I, off this week, but thanks. I read it. I always appreciate it. I think everybody else uh, does as well. Uh, if you want to find me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Martinick, M-A-R-T-O-N-I-K. You can tell me I'm wrong about gestures or mobile gaming or anything else. People usually do, and I try to respond as much as possible. Uh, and that's going to be it for us on the Android Central podcast this week. Next week, we'll be back. Who knows? I believe I will be in a, a different location, not living amongst boxes. Maybe we'll do uh, some kind of another special edition. We will figure that out because uh, the inmates are running the prison as Daniel is away. And we'll see how it goes. It is worth highlighting to everyone listening that we have been doing this podcast for an hour and 16 minutes. And Andrew Martinick is actually standing uh, we got a picture of this earlier. He's actually standing at his <laughs> at his kitchen counter with his microphone, like like actually mounted to the countertop, with a with a banker's box with his laptop on it, so that he could do this podcast. So so yes, sir. Slide this man some appreciation for for literally standing and doing this podcast with with just nothing but boxes around him. Yes, I will double check that there is not anything uh, particularly incriminating on my uh, countertop where uh, it looks like a house uh, has exploded. 
and, <laughs> and I will uh, I will put that uh, photo or some version of it out on Twitter for everybody to see because yes, it's quite hilarious. It's a good standing desk setup. Uh, I will be in a better situation uh, next week, hopefully, and uh, I hope you guys all come back and join us. See you, Lex. Uh, see you, Lex. Uh, uh, see you next time. We won't even cut that out. Bye, guys. Later. See you later. 